We're in Acts 21 today. We're moving right along. And uh, so the text we're looking at today actually begins the last portion of Acts. I know sometimes we don't think of it as kind of these, these segments, but you might remember chapters 1 through 7, uh, we were in Jerusalem. And we saw the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost. And then that section ended when Stephen was martyred and, and the Christians, um, for safety and in fear, scattered abroad. And it was this, this moment where the gospel goes out with them in that, that moment of uh, fear in a lot of senses. And so then in chapters 8 through 12, the gospel was, was spread to Judea and to Samaria. And, and, and the story really followed along with Peter, if you remember. We were following Peter and we saw Philip and a few other things along that time. And then from chapter 13 until now, it's been Paul's three missionary journeys. And, and the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles in these faraway places, the end of the earth, right? Um, and so that point has just come to an end. And now from this point forward... All the way to the end of chapter 28, Paul is, is older. He's in his 50s. I'm not going to call that old just in case you're in your 50s. Um, <clears throat> but after our, our text today, he's going to be this prisoner on his, on his way to Rome. And today in our, our text, we're going to see, or in this passage, we're going to see what sets in motion Paul becoming a prisoner. How it is he's going to find himself in these, in these chains. And so we'll read it in two sections. And the first one uh, starts in Acts 21, verse 27. And I ask that you follow along as I read. <clears throat> when the seven days, sorry, let me just set you up. Remember, Paul has gone into Jerusalem uh, and he's going through some of these Jewish customs. He's gone into the temple and he's paid these, uh, he's going to pay these rites for these guys that are making a, uh, the end of their vow coming. And so he's trying to uh, set himself up and to look like he's trying to show, hey, I'm not against the temple. I'm not against Judaism. Uh, and so that's where he's at. OK, so when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple. And has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and, and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And then he came to the steps. He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, this story is familiar to many of us. I ask that you, you keep us from pushing it off like white noise when, when we hear of Paul's conversion. Uh, you know, this is the spark that set the world aflame. And, and with the fire of the good news that Jesus sets us free from our sin and the gospel, when we receive it by grace through faith. 
Lord, enlighten our minds to believe your word, uh, the word we've just read this morning. And help us to understand why you have placed this story in the scriptures for us to learn some 2,000 years after it took place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, picture the scene. Sometimes we read it and it sounds like a storybook, right? This is, this is history, though, and you picture this. Paul is he's in the temple. He's in the court of Israel where only Jews are permitted to go, which is just fine because Paul is, uh, is Jewish. And then suddenly some Jews from out of town, they see him, and they're most likely from Ephesus or one of these places that Paul has been. They recognize him immediately. And the fact that they've traveled so far to see Paul tells us these are pretty devout men. Uh, And when they see him, their anger against him just boils up. Because in in Paul, they see a threat to their religion. They see a threat to their way of life. Uh, And and now their response is going to throw a wrench into the church of Jerusalem's plan to to really, you know, reform Paul's reputation in Jerusalem. Um, And so while these plans don't go like he hoped, right, they had a plan and they put it in motion and it's not going like they hoped at all, but at no point is he outside the providence of God. And and I I think that's an important reminder for us that just because our plans don't go the way we hope, we can still rest assured in the fact that we are never, ever outside the providence of God. And so here in their anger then, they, they verbally slander Paul. It's a word we, we throw around. Now, slander is, you know, technically it is making a false spoken statement that is damaging to a person's reputation. Um, often when people are, are angry, they'll exaggerate or completely make something up, some accusation about another person that just justifies their anger, that, that helps to, you know, come and be angry with me because this and whatever they have made up at that point. Uh, We've seen it in our national election already, and unfortunately, I imagine we're going to see it much more before November 8th comes around. Uh, But you see it everywhere, Uh, so much so that we almost don't even recognize it when we see it. Uh, And so, you know, the problem is this, that as soon as someone makes an accusation against another person, no matter how completely untrue that statement is, people are going to hear it and people are going to believe it. And so then the problem with false accusations is that they are very easy to create. They're very easy to spread, but after that, they are also very, very difficult to erase. And so then these false accusations against Paul, they they sound quite true. In fact, uh, even as we read it, it almost sounds right, right? Uh, You don't even realize these are false accusations. Uh, They say first, you know, he's teaching everyone everywhere. I, you know, you read that and you can hear the exaggeration in that statement. It's, it's like when a parent, you know, says, you know, you've been, you've been so unkind, turn the movie off, uh, you're not allowed to watch anymore. And then that, you know, that childish response, what? I can never, ever, ever again the rest of my life ever watch a movie again? Um, I'm not the only person that's ever heard that, right? Uh, that huge, just over-exaggeration. And here they want the people that they're speaking to uh, to believe that Paul really is teaching this to everyone in every place. And, and, you know, this is something Paul probably wishes was true, but he's not. Uh, and, and specifically when you realize what, he's, what they're accusing of him, they're saying that he is against the Jewish people, uh, that he is against this temple, and that he is against the law, and he's doing this everywhere. And, and I think you hear those, and they sound very believable. Uh, like I mentioned before, we forget that, that Paul hasn't taught against those things. He's, he's taught that Jesus fulfills the law. 
He said nothing of the temple. Uh, in fact, in the moment that this is all going down, he is in the temple participating in the Jewish custom at the moment they actually attack him. And, and then the last accusation is, is, is that he brought a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. To us, we think that's no big deal, right? So, so here's the deal. The temple had these courtyards around it. You had uh, one small section, then a larger section, a larger section. Uh, and, and the outside, there was the court of the Gentiles, which was as far as any Gentile person was permitted to go. And then, then you had the court of Israel, or the Jewish court, and that was as far as Jewish people were allowed to go. Uh, and that was segregated by gender at that point. And then you had the Holy of Holies, which was limited to the high priest uh, on the Day of Atonement. So that was the even rarer place to go. And here's the, the situation, though, is that between the Gentile court and the Jewish court, there was this four-and-a-half-foot-tall sign, just in case anyone didn't know the rule. And on it was written in Greek and Latin uh, this statement that was, Gentiles are not to enter here. And, and if they do, they will have themselves to blame for their own death. Um, that's how serious this was. To us, it's just walking past something, but very serious to them that it was actually punishable by execution. And, and the Roman government allowed this because they understood how important that was. And so now I, I know we have trespassing signs in Kansas. I see them, you know, they say, violators will be prosecuted, right? Uh, meaning you'll get in trouble with the law. But the sign that we see here is more like the, the no trespassing signs that, that you'll find down in Texas. Uh, they don't mention per, uh, prosecution at all. It's not even on the sign. Uh, they say violators will be shot and survivors will be shot again. And it sounds like a joke, but I know way too many people that really mean it. You don't, you don't trespass. That's how big it is a deal here to accuse Paul of having actually brought a Greek into this holy place. You have defiled our temple is what they're saying. And, and Luke, the author here, is quite clear that, that Paul was in the city with Tr Tr Trophimus, uh, but it, that he did not bring him into the forbidden portions of the temple. False accusations, slander. Um, the truth, though, was absolutely no concern to them. Uh, and this slander spreads like pheromones through a beehive, as these people were quick to believe the worst instead of seeking out the truth. Um, and we need to remember this when, when we're on the opposite side of anyone on any issue. Uh, try to understand what is true. You know, even as, as Christians, we're easy to like, have our side and their side, but we need to make sure we're trying to understand what is true, not what's most interesting, not what's most beneficial to my argument, my view. Uh, in, in other words, we must be careful that we do not become fertile ground for the seeds of slander to grow in, ever. And the obvious application then of this is that we be careful uh, to not quickly believe the worst about people. Uh, you might call it just being charitable in the way that you, you listen and learn. Um, instead, that we seek to, to know the truth to, and, and to withhold judgment until we understand the truth. Uh, children, you're in here. You're coloring maybe, right? You're taking notes. This can happen at your age as well. You know, be careful that you don't believe all the, the mean things you might hear about someone. Um, because it may not be true. And, and so be careful that you don't listen to rumors or tell other people rumors that maybe you, you did accidentally hear. And to all of us, no matter what our age is, we, we, need to, we need to take every opportunity we have to put a stop to slander when we hear it. Um, 
when we hear it, put a stop to it. It's like Ephesians 4.31 says. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Um, And also, consider this. Slander happens to Christians today. In fact, we... Uh, I think we often look at our brothers and, and sisters who have been slandered and, and, and we, we stay silent in fear that we might be counted among them. Uh, you know, you can throw words out there, bigots, haters. Um, and part of it is because some of it's true, but, but these accusations go out and, uh, you know, you don't want to be called closed-minded or whatever the accusation might be, we're afraid of being associated with that. Um, Paul's love here of the, the freeing power of grace received and the gospel is what has led them to accuse him of hating the Jews, of hating the law, and hating the temple. It's not because he actually has hatred for any of those. Um, can you think of any situation today where Christians are accused of being, being hateful? Um, you know, if you want to protect the lives of, of unborn children today, you'll, you'll quickly find that others will, will paint a picture of you being anti-women or anti-women's rights. Uh, If you're in support of biblically defined marriage, your views can quickly be labeled, uh, falsely labeled as as hateful towards anyone who identifies as homosexual. Um, And and be careful that we don't respond the other way as well. And and here's what I mean. If if your brothers and your your sisters in Christ show compassion and kindness to those who are struggling with some of these issues, let's be careful that we don't equate that to to their affirming what is sinful. Uh, in other words, don't jump to conclusions. Seek the truth. Everything you hear, don't jump to conclusions. Seek the truth. And the irony here, as I think I pointed out, is that, that Paul has spent this, this past week trying to build this bridge between the Jewish people and himself, and, and it's taken only a few minutes for these opponents to come in and just burn that bridge to the ground. And this whole crowd is stirred up. And so you picture it. Paul is being dragged through the courts of the temple, which is actually against the laws of the temple to begin with, uh, the very place that the Jews went to to be close to God, Paul is being dragged out of it, and he's taken out that last gate, and the door is shut, and it's locked behind him. You know, it's this, this image almost of you're being locked away from God. And uh, that's where this theology that Paul knows is so important, because he knows that, that no one comes to the Father except through the Son, Jesus Christ. It's not those gates. Um, What a comfort in a moment when you get locked out of something like that. And so these Jews, they've lost sight of who who their God is, and they're now actually beating a man with intent to to kill him. Uh, But God protects Paul, and in some irony, you notice how he gets protected. It's the civil government that steps in to save his life. The news of this quickly gets to the tribune. The tribune was a man who was in charge of a thousand soldiers, right? So that's even more than a commander, if I'm understanding my arm and terminology better. Uh, And he's supposed to be keeping the peace. And so these people are shouting, and he has no idea what's going on. And so what do you do? You arrest the man they're beating, right? Uh, That's what they do. Uh, Mobs of of angry people, though, they never bring about peace. It doesn't happen here. And, And as they carry Paul away, they are shouting. Do you see what they're shouting there? away with him, away with him, away with him. And I don't know if it occurred to Paul or not, but some 
Twenty odd years earlier, the crowd in this very same location used almost the exact same words when they were saying of his Savior Jesus, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Let's see what happens next. Uh, Let's read again, starting in verse 37. We'll read to the end here. And then into the next chapter. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. A citizen of no obscure city, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given them permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From, then, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there, and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told that what is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and I beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so Paul was brought into the barracks, right? And he's beat up pretty bad, you know, got to understand this. He's got bruises and probably cuts and blood and dirt and grime and uh, very ragged. And we learn here that until Paul speaks to this Roman leader in the language of Greek, they actually thought he was this Egyptian, uh, essentially an Egyptian that was on the most wanted list. Josephus, Josephus, uh, who was a Jewish historian at the time, actually writes about that Egyptian. He was a a man who claimed to be a prophet, and he led this revolt against the Roman government. 
in this battle, and there were thousands who died, and, and yet the Egyptian himself escaped. And so there's this wondering, who is he? Where is he? It was kind of like our, our search for Osama bin Laden for a long time. Um, and at this point, I think he's hoping we've got the Egyptian, we've got this man. And, and so when Paul speaks then, he's saying basically, no, I, I'm not the Egyptian guy because I'm, I'm Jewish. And he, and he states that he was from Tarsus, and he does so because that's a large, influential city. It's like if, uh, if you're down in Brazil and, and you tell someone, hey, I'm an American from New York City, no one ever follows up with, New York? Where's that? Uh, they just know it because it's big and it's cultural. You know, no one thinks it's in Idaho. Um, and so then it appears that, that Paul believes if, if he can speak to this crowd that maybe he can calm them down. And the Roman, soldier, or Roman leader must believe this too because he actually lets them speak to them. Um, it's interesting then that they've been worked up, right, trying to kill Paul. They were just beating this man and suddenly they put him out in front. And I don't know what Paul does with his hands, something cool, uh, because suddenly everyone falls silent as he stands to speak. You know, here he is then, a, a man in chains telling this story of freedom to these men who do not see the shackles uh, on their own lives that is being lived apart from the grace of God. They don't even understand how enslaved they still are. And, and, and did you notice that he addresses them then with this, this is the same title that Stephen actually addressed the crowd with uh, way back when, just before they actually stone him to, get, to death. He says, Brothers and, and fathers, there's that association. Listen, I'm one of you. And, and they're accusing him of being anti-Jewish. And, and so you better believe that he actually leads with, I am a Jew, I'm one of you. Um, you know that, that weird experience where you meet someone who is from the same place as you, somewhere far off, and you're like, these are my people. Um, it makes no sense, right? You could have a completely contrary worldview, like opposite on absolutely everything. And as soon as you find out, Oh, you're from where I am? Yeah, you must be an all right guy, right? Um, and, he, and he's telling them here, you know, listen, I, I was born in this city, but I'm from your city. I'm from Jerusalem, you know, like J-Town, man, I'm with you. And, and there's this, this association going on. But, uh, and, and then he goes even more like, I'm gonna, he's going to drop this name, Gamiel, which I can't pronounce at all, Gamiel, we'll just call him Gamiel, right? Uh, <clears throat> I violated my own rule, which is pronounce it like you think you know it and pretend it's right. But uh, you got to understand that rabbis were these, were these teachers, and Gamil was the most celebrated of all the teachers at this time. This was a name they would have known. And so, you know, y'all respect Gamil. Well, I studied under him. People do that today. You know, we all have some, some professor that we mention from time to time because he's well known. If you haven't figured it out, mine's Sinclair Ferguson. Like, I studied under Sinclair Ferguson, so I must be all right. Um, you know, I, I remember the first time I ever met uh, Dale. He's a pastor in Kansas City. And I didn't know anything about him, but he's like, I, I studied under John Piper. I'm like, all right, you must be a pretty good guy. I didn't know anything else about him besides that. Um, but, he, but he mentioned that. And that's why Paul is here saying, listen, I, I've studied on this rabbi that you know. He's a big name. He must write books. Um, <clears throat> that kind of thing. And, and, and then he talks about that Paul kind of transitions now to talking about Listen, I even persecuted Christians too. There's this, I've been where you're at. Um, you know, for us, I'm going a thousand miles an hour, aren't I? I'll slow down. All right, so we've heard this story before, Acts chapter 9, way back when, and we're going to hear it again in a few weeks, actually, the story of Paul's conversion. That's why it's 
the story you've heard, the road to Damascus so much. And, and he's saying it here. He's, he's explaining to them, I've been where you are. I've been zealous like you. I've wanted to, you know, I've actually arrested and killed Christians. I understand what you're feeling right now about me um, because they were a threat to my life and, and my religion. And, and, and I'm not anymore. And let me tell you why. Um, I'll tell you, the, the closest I've ever experienced this in my life is um, on the doctrine of, of predestination, Right? Uh, I, I still can remember being in high school as a new believer, and this guy named Darren Martin, he was an intern in the, in the youth ministry, and out of nowhere he just tells me, you know, the Bible teaches that God elects some to salvation. And I'm like, no, really? Uh, you know, I, I was so angry at this man. He starts showing me verses. I'm getting angrier at him. Uh, you know, and it was this desire in me of, I have a concept of God, and you're messing with that. Um, and I wanted to protect the name of God. I wanted to protect my freedom as I saw it. And, and I really hated this guy. Like, I went home and just, I wish Darren was dead. You know, just, just hated him. And, and later in life, though, I've come back to that. You know, as I've talked to people about, you know, election and predestination and stuff, this, this story, just, just sharing the story, I've been where you are. I was so angry. Like, the feeling you feel about me right now, I've been there. I've hated someone like that, too. Uh, you know, I understand that anger. And, 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 you know, and so <clears throat> as, you, as you're pointing him then to these, these things, that's part of the story you're telling him. I understand your feelings. And so uh, <clears throat> that's what Paul's doing here. I understand the anger you have at me. I've been zealous like that. Um, and that's where he comes around. Let me tell you why I changed my mind about Christianity. Let me tell you about this, this Jesus that makes you so angry. And so then you, you notice in verse, verse 7 there where, where, where Jesus says that Paul persecuted, or Jesus says that Paul had been persecuting him, meaning Jesus. Um, I, I point that out because it's this beautiful thing in the text that we realize that Paul's never done anything to Jesus, right? He's persecuted Christians, individual people uh, along the way. And, and yet we read now here and, and we see just how closely our, our Savior associates with us. That when when people that, you know, were called his body and, and he is our head. And, and you might remember in Matthew 25, 45, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And this, this union we have with Christ um, in the gospel, it, it means that if someone were to attack you, Jesus considers that an attack against him. You know, that, that kind of like that family. I remember as a kid, my my brothers would beat me up all the time. I was the youngest. It was just acceptable. Um, but as soon as anyone outside our family would mess with me, like I knew they had my back, there's that kind of one of you association. And, and here, Jesus is very clear. When you attack those Christians, you're attacking me. You're persecuting me. Um, and, and so then Paul at that time, at this time, was an enemy of God. And as Paul then continues his speech, he's saying, listen, let me keep telling you, here's why I believe what I believe. Here's why I preach what I preach. Here's why you can keep beating me and I'm not going to stop. Because, like I said, this story is new to, uh, to the crowd here in front of us, even if we've heard it before. Um, at least most of it back in Acts 9. There is a few interesting new information here. For instance, do you notice that he refers to Jesus as the righteous one? The righteous one. That's a term for our Savior. Um, only Jesus in and of himself is righteous. I mean, do you understand when you, when you label him out as the righteous one, uh, that it makes very clear that the rest of us are unrighteous? 
That, that's why in 1 Peter 3.18, we get this, this beautiful picture of what, what Christ did for us. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, listen to this, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous one, right? For the unrighteous. And, and that verse continues, it ends with that he might bring us to God, and that's what God, Christ accomplishes. And So Paul stands before these men who believe themselves to be righteous, and he's trying to tell them about the only one who has ever truly been righteous in the history of the world. And so he tells this story. And as he tells this story, he's actually fulfilling the calling that he received from Jesus in the story to be a witness to everyone everywhere of what he has seen and heard. That's all he's doing, right? And he finished this, this, this story of, of how he went from persecuting Christians himself to being persecuted as a Christian. In essence, this was Paul's I was blind, but, but now I see moment. Um, I guess literally in a lot of ways there. Uh, and so let's just make a few observations and then we'll close. Um, first of all, did you notice here, Paul wants to talk about Jesus. He wants to talk about Jesus. Even in this really antagonistic environment, he wants to talk about Jesus. And, and I mention that and I point it out because I wonder if sometimes we don't try to avoid talking about Jesus. Now, because of the fear of, of how someone might react to that, right? How, they might, how that might reflect on our name. I mean, what other people are talking about Jesus that we're now going to be associated with? Uh, and it's that question, you know, are we, are we more concerned about defending our reputation or, or defending the name of our Savior and the truth of the gospel? I mean, you see this. You see Paul puts all his effort into establishing this connection between Christianity and, and Judaism because he's going to help them understand how they come to Christ. And, and in a sense, um, he's pointing to them that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jews, J Jewish hope. This is the Savior you've been waiting for. And, and there's one thing that I didn't catch for a long time. It took me until later in the week to see this. But, but did you notice that Paul never, ever defends himself against the accusation of bringing a Gentile into the temple? At no point does he even bother to defend himself on that. He has this opportunity to speak, and I think most of us would want to clear our name. I didn't do that. But he takes that opportunity and he speaks about Jesus. Uh, you know, look for places in your life where you have opportunity to speak about Jesus. Uh, the second thing is this. Uh, we're going to see it next week. Uh, John Dunning's going to be preaching. We're going to see it there. That Paul's speech is rejected, right? We see this and we're like, yes, this is going to be awesome. God's hands in this. Um, and, and when we speak about Jesus, there may be amazing results. When we defend our, our faith, we might have wonderful results. Uh, but we also might see no results. That's, that's what Paul's going to see here. And, and, and so, but we're still called to defend our faith. And when I say defend our faith, um, understand, I don't mean to post an obnoxious meme on Facebook or, or, you know, a link to some, you know, obnoxious blog or whatever it might be. What I mean is, is that you talk to people face to face and, and that you give a reason for the hope that's in you, okay? Um, and, and the big question for us then is, is are we willing to defend our faith? Uh, lovingly, kindly, boldly, but are we willing to defend our faith? Will, will you give a verbal defense of why you believe what you believe, even when you know it's going to make you look strange? I know I'm not the only one who's ever been in that moment, and you think, as soon as I explain Jesus, I'm going to look crazy. 
But it's true. You know, when, you're, when your coworker, you know, asks you do, you, do you really think practicing homosexuality is a sin? Or um, do you really think some people actually go to hell? These are weird questions, you know. Uh, do you really believe that, that God created people instead of just random chance kind of theory? Um, you know, what's, what's more, will you take these opportunities to point them to Jesus? And, I, and this is an important distinction here, because what I mean is that uh, when we do defend our faith, let us be sure that it's not just defending some ethical moral stance, right? That's easier to do, I think, than it is to say, let me tell you about Jesus. Um, you know, make sure our conversations are leading to Christ himself. After all, that's, that's why Paul's telling this story here. He's pointing the Jews to Jesus. That's, that's why we tell our own stories. You know, you tell your story of, of growing up in the faith. You tell your story of, of receiving faith later in life. These, these are, are stories that we can use, that, that God has given us, to, that we can point people to Christ. Um, and these stories point to the righteous one. They point to the only one in whom we have faith for the forgiveness of sin. And... and and so let me remind you to think about your own story. Think about the way that God has brought you to faith. It doesn't have to be one of those awesome stories. You're like, that's a great testimony. They're all great testimonies. Um, and, and the last thing is this. There is this beautiful irony that these Jewish men are out there listening, believing themselves to be free, when in fact they're still enslaved to their sin. Meanwhile, Paul is standing before them in chains, right? He's shackled. Um, looking like a man who's been in prison, but all the while he has been set free from his sin, and he has been set free from the eternal sentencing of that sin uh, by the Savior, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And um, so I'll ask you, you know, when was the last time you just thought about what it means that you have been set free from sin? Or as Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that we have been set free, that Christ has set us free. Um, do you know, and, and so do you feel also that, that you're no longer shackled in the, to the chains of sin? Because um, if you're still carrying the weight of trying to be your own righteousness, you're like the man or the woman who is, who is just standing in the prison cell despite those doors being open to you. Just standing there in prison. Uh, Christian, the doors are open if your faith is in Christ. Go free. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, if there are those here today who know about you, but they do not know you as the righteous one, as their, their Savior, our prayer is that you would give them faith to believe this good news that sets us free from our sin. No matter what change in this world we might, we might find ourselves in. And so give faith, Lord. And God, if, if we have believed the gospel, then we too have a personal story of redemption to tell. And the story is glorious, even if it doesn't sound as exciting as what we read here in Paul's conversion. We certainly know that any time a sinner comes to faith in Christ, an amazing miracle of regeneration and rebirth and cleansing has been done by your hands. And so may we rejoice always when we hear of, of how you have worked faith in the hearts of men and women and children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.